Berserker Cast, episode number three, The Eye. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Welcome back to Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How are you tonight? I'm cold. Well, you're in Minnesota, so unless it's I know. August. It's been in like the 80s or 90s for the last week, and now it just dropped off to like the 70s, and it feels really cold. That actually sounds pretty good. We're in the low 90s around here, although we're in the middle of a cold front right now so it's like mid 80s high 80s around that range oh you poor thing i was telling you last week about the floods we've been having here well june went on record as the wettest june in minnesota history <laughs> there's a no wake zone in most of the lakes around here well because you know we ha- we have a couple lakes up here in minnesota i heard that was the Eight. lando lakes yeah so there's been a no wake zone nobody can go nobody can really go very fast on boats <laughs> it's very funny just puttering around on boats Just puttering on the pontoons. Redneck Yacht Club. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whether you're a member of a Redneck Yacht Club or one day aspire to be, we're glad you've joined us for today's podcast, where we are breaking down season four, episode number two of Falling Skies, which aired on Sunday, June 29th, 2014, entitled... The Eye. Now, Emily, what do you think about that title? Any? I've got a couple of ideas, I think, but didn't know if maybe I was overlooking something. I'm going to give you first dibs. I guess I just took it as the eye in the sky. I mean, I've been clued into the director's notes on it, of course. So it is very much like they—they they were really trying to gear the the episode as a looming presence above whatever the city is that they're all residing in, and just something that's all seeing tethered to the ground okay is that kind of where you were going with that yeah i mean just that the uh the ishveni overlord was kind of always looking at them so basically yeah yeah i wouldn't have termed an eye in the sky i'm glad you did i that's a great way of putting it all right well this episode was directed by sergio mimica gezen is that right i think so he's also been the only other director on the show to direct at least one episode in every season hmm Look at you throwing down the falling skies factoids. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got to know something about something, right? I guess so. That's why we brought you on board. <laughs> right. To cover right. my sorry tale. Uh, this was written by Carol Barbie, which is interesting. I watched the uh, season two premiere of Under the Dome last night. So now I've got Barbie on the uh, brain from that show. Different Barbie here. Slightly different. Yeah. And you yeah. also laid down the knowledge into our show notes uh, about a guest actor that we've had in last week's episode and this episode. 
Yeah, new newcomer. I don't think he has a lot of credits. Dakota Dalby, I think is how you say it. He's the uh, kid who's playing team leader. And I'm not sure how many episodes he's contracted for, but I think he's got at least three. So we'll see where that leads. But he's been pretty active on Twitter the last couple of Sundays, and it's just fun to see his behind-the-scenes shots and stuff. So. It is cool. We got some feedback about cool. that character to uh, to talk about oh, cool. in this episode. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, let's get into the episode. What do you say? I say I like it. All right. Once again, this week we have broken down our discussion into the various uh, storylines that are involved with the episodes right now. We have the Team Tom, Team Anne. We also have... Uh, Team Lexi, I guess you could you could call it, and we also, of course, have the one we were just talking about there with Team Matt. Although very little to talk about with Team Matt, but let's get it kicked off with again the storyline that dominated the episode, and that is Team Tom. Team Tom. So I guess the first thing on my list was how I like how they the, the direction they took with the ghost copycats. You know, right away, almost right away, we get the guy who comes to the woman's defense, but it doesn't turn out to be Tom, and Tom actually comes to this guy's rescue. Yeah. It reminded me of one of the Batman movies. I think it was, gosh, I don't remember which one it was. Do you remember which Dark Knight movie it was where there were these copycat Batmans, and he had to end up rescuing the fake Batmans? I've only seen the first one. I've seen more movies than you on something. (laughs) Uh, I'm I don't know I'm not a huge Christian Bale fan unless it's Newsies and then I'm all for it. But <laughs> I'm guessing if Christian Bale instead of having like a, a cape, uh, if he would have had some sort of I don't know swashbuckling sword or something, you would have been all over that. Probably a couple piercings here and there, <laughs> couple tattoos, <laughs> drink a lot of rum. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I could totally see that, especially in the superhero world. I mean, they do it in the DC comic shows all the time where there's a copycat and who ends up having to be saved by the hero himself. So, I mean, it's, it's very cool, very common trope to use. And I thought they executed it very well. And especially the way it came back around to it in the end. Right. As I was going to say that too, it it did come back around and we're getting word for those who are joining us in the live show and and, uh, communicating with us via the chat room that that was the second Batman movie of the Christian Bale era. Of course. I can't yeah. believe you no, haven't I've, seen I've, that. I still love you. Just a little bit less. <laughs> wow, I'm just getting knocked down peg after peg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, back to Falling Skies here. We had right. um, Tom and Weaver getting kicked out of solitary. That was a very interesting turn of events. And I see, well, I see your note on here. Why bother kicking them out? Shouldn't they know nothing? And did you notice that they they kicked out like a dozen others too? It wasn't just the two of them? Uh, yes, I did. I noticed that they, okay. they said that they kicked everybody out so that they could have the the killers and all those people to try to track down the ghost. And I understand their logic on that. What I don't understand yep. is you have clearly not everyone that they had in solitary was a you know mass killer threat type of person. I mean, Tom and Weaver were not in solitary for that, for that purpose, so I don't know why... They would have let them out. I mean, they, they had the ghost. And, and, of course, they didn't know they had the ghost. But it was just a little bit 
it added to the drama. I don't know that it made a whole lot of sense for the the reasoning that the Ashvani gave for letting everyone out of solitary. Sure. I guess I equated it more to that, uh, you know, the Ashvani have never been a very good judge of humans, and they seem to equate disorder with criminality. So if if they're causing disorder, they must be, you know, ruthless criminals. So, okay. In that in that way, I could see it. You know, and they've been constantly ju- misjudging how hard it is to harness children, how hard it is c- to control free will, and all of that stuff. So, and they and we'll but, talk about it when we get a little bit further along here in just a couple of minutes. But they definitely continue to um, miscalculate and misunderstand. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans and not not only their capabilities but their desires and a few other things as well we'll talk about yeah so that's a good point yeah so once tom got down though you you mentioned last week that you thought how someone said drew uh, you thought that hal (laughs) was aware uh that his dad was the ghost and there's no question we got that answered really clearly this episode yes he was very aware that his dad was the ghost and they had been sneaking or tom had been sneaking down and they had been working together to uh, try to plan what was going on right and it seemed i'm not sure if if they were actually communicating while he was in solitary because there there seemed to be i wasn't quite sure where the conversation was intending to go what their implications were but at the very least, Tom had left instructions for Hal to carry out while he was away. And obviously, nobody could know that he was the ghost. So maybe having no communication while he was in solitary was the best way to assure his plan succeeded. But at the very least, the scene you're talking about, they're discussing objectives, the objectives that Tom had left for Hal. And I just loved how, as they're going back and forth about, did you do this? Did you do this? What did you find out about this? Hal kind of just stops him short and says, you know what, you've been locked away for a bit, and I've been out here, and I think I found something. You've just got to trust me. And I liked how he was able to set his foot down, because, you know, this already in these first two episodes, we've seen how each of Tom's sons have had to kind of take control in whatever paradigm they've been thrown into. And Hal, despite the fact that he's in the same location as his father, is still in that circumstance. And just like I just like the character growth that we're going to be seeing from him. Yeah, I, I like that too. And you're right. You know, I suppose that it could be that they had this meeting before uh, Tom got taken away, and some objectives were laid out. You know, the second my second watch, I, I, I tried to pay attention to that scene, and maybe I was trying to read into it what you had pre- pre- predicted last week. And I and I I really felt like you your prediction was spot on. But but I I think you you could be right where they had had some communication at some point in the past of some objectives that they had um, or that Tom had wanted Hal to do. But I really got the strong impression that Hal was, was not at all surprised that his dad was the ghost and that there had been oh, yeah. some communication with between the two, even after Hal, or excuse me, Tom had gone into solitary. Yeah, no, I entirely agree with that. It does not, I mean, it's still when, when his dad rode away on the bike about to wrap himself in his little garment, it did not seem like he was surprised at all that his dad was the ghost. So at the very least, I mean, the look that I had caught on Hal last week that made me think it was just like a, a slight shake of the head when he saw the ghost ride out, you know, and it just made me go, you, you can tell 
someone that you love very much, even if they are completely clothed in unrecognizable clothing, you can tell who they are just by their mannerisms. And you could tell from the way Tom moved his head or whatever. So, I don't know. I I mean, I, I don't think there was any mistaking that he knew it was him. Just, I don't know about the order of events or even if it matters, but good stuff. Yeah. We also talked last week, we, we wondered where they were, where this urban area that they've been kind of imprisoned into was located. And we still don't know exactly, but we did, I think we got a pretty clear understanding that it's, if it's not Charlotte, which it could be, you remember when they kind of came over mm-hmm. the hill last week, Charlotte was in ruins. And we've seen it before. Charlotte was mostly in ruins. Well, Charleston. I'm sorry. Right? Thank you. Do, you. do you know how close those are to each other? I don't, I mean, one is North Carolina, right? Charlotte yeah, is. You're right. No, Charlotte, you're right. Yeah. North Carolina. Okay. Um, Thank you for correcting me in the city. And the reason I, I bring it up is that the this new guy they have that Hal is asking um, Tom to trust mentioned that he was crossing over into South Carolina when he was captured again. So that leads me to believe oh, that okay. they wouldn't have really carried him off very far. They would have had a, a pretty close city uh, yeah. to take him to. So it's, you're, you're saying it's pretty safe assumption that we could uh, make that it's Charleston that they're in? I think so, or at least very close to it. Okay. It makes, it sure makes it easier to discuss it <laughs> when we know, when we can just say Charleston. Yeah. I think we could work off the assumption that it's Charleston until otherwise proven wrong, which could be a possibility, right. but I do think they're yeah. at least close to that area. Yeah. Right. And if somebody knows for sure where they are, let us know, but otherwise let's just call it Charleston until we're proven wrong. Uh, I really, really liked the Faraday suit idea. You know, there, it's, it just seems impenetrable. The fence does, and this guy, Digon, he says that he was on the electrical line. He said he wasn't an engineer, but uh, did you catch what he said he was? No, I, I think Tom or Hal, one of them, asked, or asked him or said something about him must being an electrical engineer, and he just gave him a look or something. I don't think he confirmed, but I'm not sure. Oh, no, he said he was not a... He was not an engineer. He was an electrical lineman, which I think I took to mean that he helped manufacture the suits, even if he didn't actually design them or something. Is it? I don't know. But uh, so when you're climbing the fence, it allows the electricity to flow around you. Right. But they only have one suit. So he said that they could create more suits if they helped them or if somebody would help him find copper. But I don't know anymore if that's even necessary because of plans that they discovered on the Ashveni ship and of uh, what taking that ship down might possibly mean. Yeah, plus Pope and uh, Weaver have discovered a potential, at least a, a place where they could get through the wall without it being discovered by the Ashveni, although that might also come into play with the Faraday suit. That might, Those two things might come together, but definitely Tom's plan and what he discovered up there on the ship seems to be a better a better plan because one suit at a time or even gosh if they could scrap together two dozen suits which seems to me seems impractical it would take a lot of time uh to get all those people across the fence so i don't think that faraday suit is going to be a practical solution for getting everybody out although i do i do think it's a very practical solution for getting a few scouts or spies out for you know tactical purposes, recon purposes. But um, yeah, I love the idea or of the even, Faraday suit. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I commented that uh, at least you don't have to attach it to the base of his neck. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know, even go, uh, going on what you said, the diagram model thing that Tom sees in the ship makes it look like it's tethered to the ground just outside of the fence. So even if a couple people can wear a suit, hop over the fence and find a way to disrupt whatever the electrical current is tethering the eye to the fence, I mean, even that would suffice because, yes, getting, how many people do you suppose are in there? At least 50. I mean, you got to assume there's at least 50, if not more. So that is not a viable solution to make a suit for each person. Right. But Do you trust this guy? You know, it's so hard to trust anyone on any show ever. But... I want to. Mm-hmm. He see. I mean, it. It really seems right now that it is humans against the aliens, and you know which humans are corrupted. I mean, it, the the aliens don't really hide who their allies are. Really? I don't know. Not really. Oh, I mean, like Karen. Uh, I mean, anyone who's really did any damage, they haven't been able to slip up. Well, okay, you're thinking Lourdes. And Lexi, really? Eye worms. Yeah, both yeah, of them. But, yeah, I wasn't thinking about Lourdes. And Hal, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. Mark, we're going to hear from Mark a lot throughout the episode tonight, but one of the things that he made a comment about <clears throat> was that he doesn't trust the guy. And he said part of the reason was that it's a new character and your, you know, your sensors should always be up. And on the lookout when a new character enters the scene because you just you don't have any context in, in which to give them trust and they need to earn that. And so until that time comes, he doesn't really trust the new guy. And I think that's wise. Hmm. I would say on the whole that's pretty true. But we've had uh, we've had some just one-off actors. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I mean, it doesn't matter what I think. I think that I want to trust him. Because the Faraday suit is such a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like it would work. It does seem like a very yeah. realistic solution if they can pull it off, which, you know, as yeah. Sifo well, Dias pointed out in the chat room, even a baboon would be able to do that. So, <laughs> Right. And I think the difference here in this season is that the the aliens, the Yashveni, have decided that um, force is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Even persuasion, it's more that they have to actually remove the free will of these people in order to get what they want. And just because of the way that they're going, they, they still have some kids harnessed, but they said that that's not very, it's not a viable solution in the long term. Right. But now they've gone toward brainwashing. So perhaps with this change in uh, strategy, it also has changed the strategy of who they plant inside of these camps. Because to me, what these ghettos or gulags are doing are preparing these adults for this new army that uh, the overlord described on the ship to Tom, that they're going to be mindless drones pretty much. So that's, that's what these gulags seem like they're doing to me. So, or doing that's, they seem like they're doing so why bother planting someone in there if you're just going to turn all of these people into robots? That's an excellent point. 
That's a really excellent point. I, I like that a whole lot. And I, I tend to tend to trust the guy too because of the first point you made, which was at this point it seems to be humans versus aliens. Yes, they have infiltrated, you know, put eye worms in people and, and used them mm-hmm. to infiltrate ranks, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I really don't because they're already imprisoned. These people are already imprisoned, so I don't I don't think that's a strategy right. that the Ishvini would employ. Right. And if they were looking for the ghost in the first place, this would be the perfect way to get him to come out, and he didn't seem at all interested in Tom being the ghost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's still definitely the possibility that we're completely wrong, but I, I guess that's where my mind was going and why I just instinctively trust him. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Let's talk about Cochise. We got just a very yeah. small smattering of Cochise again in this episode. I want more Cochise, but... Uh, hopefully we'll get more of him soon, but we did get a little bit this, this episode. Yeah. I just love how, how, uh, colloquial he's become <laughs> with human lingo. And I mean, in the, in the last episode, he said something along, along the lines of later chief. <laughs> it was just, it was so cute. I just wanted to grab his cheeks. <laughs> well, I thought he, I thought Tom said something in this episode. Was it, uh, we'll cross that bridge. When we get, or uh, no, it was something. What else, else is new? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. What else is new? Yeah. And I, I felt like Cochise was like, "Well, okay, let me tell you what else is new." You know, he didn't catch the fact <laughs> that there was some sarcasm, right? There. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, I love, I love that they're developing that sort of rapport. It's so fun. I, uh, but what, what was so interesting about that conversation was that they had found. What was it? The transports bringing those kids to the re-education camps, right? And possibly located Matt and Tom's line. You can't just dangle that in front of me, man. That's that's the worst thing you could do for me right now. And he's he's at first hesitant, you know, doesn't want to just drop everything and go. But he hears the passion in Tom's voice, and you think that's ultimately what convicts him to go. I do, and I love that. I love that he said, "You know what? We'll be on it within the hour." You, you really yeah. can appreciate the relationship that Cochise and Tom built up. There was a lot, there was like a seven month period prior to season three that they had built up this relationship that we didn't get to see. But then Mm -hmm. we were kind of asked to put trust in all throughout season three. And frankly, the other characters on the show were as well. And I liked that. And I like that now that we're getting the payoff of, of these two guys who did work side by side for more than seven months because that we, you know, season three did take some time as well. So you can tell that they have, have established a rapport with each other, a respect for each other. Cochise can very much understand the desperation of somebody who wants nothing more than to secure their family and to save their family. Mm-hmm. After all, that's why they were called away, you know, after, mm-hmm. uh, after three weeks at the end of season three. So I like that. I loved it, actually. And I think that these two guys have a really strong bond. What do you think his role is going to be in their escape, Cochise? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, you know, recon seems to be something that is is a role that he's definitely playing. Uh, firepower, I think, will definitely be uh, part of the role that he'll play. Beyond that, I don't know, because it seems like even though they're back on Earth, there's not a whole mess of them. They're very limited in what type of support they can provide. So maybe we'll get more Volm yeah. action. Maybe some more of them will arrive. But if that doesn't happen, I don't know. What What do you think? I almost wonder if they're going to be absent when they actually do escape. Mm. Just because Tom has been so adamant about 
wanting to take care of the other members of his family who have been separated from him, and Cochise and his little group seem more apt to find Anne and Lexi than they do to help them in any way. They don't have many resources, and they're not even sure what their role is on Earth anymore, it seems like. I mean, the the mission that they had been sent with originally has was cut short, so... Like you said, there's not very many of them left, so I just wonder if they're not even going to be around when they try to escape. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's a good question. So, or a good point, because you, as you say, they're going to try to go get Matt. And it seems like that could be the converging point. That was our Twitter poll question last week, was which of these two groups will be the first to reunite? And with the kind of the caveat that really... Tom Weaver and you know Hal and, and the rest of the Berserkers, Pope, et cetera, are kind of really in the same group, even though um, Weaver and Tom were separated. Well, we did get them fully reunited this week, but beyond that, you know, all all signs do seem to be pointing first to encountering Matt. We definitely have Team Anne on the path to finding Matt because they're following the trail that the Ishvini would have taken those kids to. A camp, and I think it stands to reason that that would end up being the one where Matt is. Cochise obviously is on the trail of Matt, and he could take Tom there. So it mm-hmm. seems to be to me that the the reunion is going to occur with all teams converging on Matt, and then all of them converging as Lexi predicted. You know, to that to her location. What do you think? Right. No, I I completely agree with that. Seems like the most logical route. And I think I like that a lot, that Anne will find one of Tom's sons before she'll find Lexi. I think that'll add a significant depth to the story. Yeah. She won't even recognize Lexi when she sees her. Oh, of course not. <laughs> well, you know, the, well, that'll be interesting. Ben didn't. There's no reason why she would. Well, I was going to say a mother's instincts, but... Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I really want to get to the conversation Tom had with the Overlord on the ship. Me too. Let's do it. Gosh, we got so much information in that scene. Prior to that and then through that scene, we saw that the Ishveni are kind of doing what they were doing with Karen, where they are using a human as a mouthpiece through a harness. But you can tell that these are much more robotic than Karen was. They don't have any of their own free will left. And they, and the Mm -hmm. overlord told us about that. Um, he said that there was a bigger mutual enemy that the humans needed to be aware of so that they could join arms with the Ishvani. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, he says that the Volm are no match for the danger that is coming. It's a force greater than your mind can comprehend but defeating them is why we've strayed so far from our own galaxy, why we've collected resources from every planet and moon along the way. Holy cow. Number one, do we believe him? And number two, what, what does that even look like? I mean, the Ishveni are pretty sneaking powerful. If he describes them, this other enemy in that way, what does that even look like? You know, this has got to be one of the most interesting possibilities of this show yet because when you think back to season one and the the little bits of information we get along the way about the Ishveni and about how uh, what their plans are for the humans and everything 
and especially in finding that some of the skitters, if not all of the skitters, uh, are harnessed as well. And in addition to that, the Volm coming and discovering that the humans are intent to fight for their right to inhabit their planet. When you put all of those things together, in my mind, it is so interesting to think about the Ashveni going from planet to planet looking for resources, either biological or uh, not evolutionary, um, uh, agricultural. I don't know. Not, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but looking for each of these things along the way that, you know, make up the perfect formula to defeating whatever this huge thing is coming. And then they encounter humans who put up such a resistance that they are even more adamant to lock on and capture what these, what this race of people, what this biology species has done uh, with their resources in order to even make their, their own uh, front lines more robust. And, and on the one hand you go, how can you, when you, when you see all that the humans have, why take or why try to modify what they have instead of just asking them to join your forces and partnering up with you to defeat whatever horrible power there is coming? But on the other hand, they've been so used to conquering all of these peoples or all of these planets who are just, you know, instantaneously destroyed by whatever power they have inflicted on them. So. I'm not sure if there was a finality to that statement, but just I, I just really like seeing it in that way and seeing what the Eshveni's original goal might have been coming to this planet and then getting stopped by the humans and what that potentially means for the, their future plans. It's so interesting because I can't imagine the humans being the quote-unquote ally that the Eshveni envisioned them being if they have taken the human's emotion out of the equation. Mm-hmm. You know, emotion is what drives us. It is what makes us human. And the, the Ishveni can't seem to understand that. And right. that is what has driven them so hard to fight so hard. And the Ishveni are going, man, look at these guys. They're fighting so hard. We want to get them on our team. Let's take away their emotion so we can control them. And in doing so, they're neutering right. the humans and, and taking away that passion, that drive out of them. And I, it's going to backfire on them if, if, if right. it works. And it's, it's so interesting. We've, we've talked about how the Volm have a hard time understanding certain capacities of, of, of humans and, and human nature. And the Ishveni are, are, are no better. And, and this scene was, a clear example of that in, in a couple of, of ways. One of them I thought was just the abrupt conclusion that the, I think this is um, Scorch, I think is this Ashvini overlord's name. And uh, once there was another person down below that appeared to be ghost, he just immediately said, Oh, well, I guess Tom's not the ghost. I'm done with you and left. I mean, it was just so, it was not an, it was not a logical conclusion that he should have drawn. He should have said, Hmm. Which one is the real ghost? And and kept Tom right. and because he just let Tom do whatever he wanted. He was gone. It was totally careless. Well, I don't know so much about that because when Tom gets back down to the ground, he says that he made a deal, didn't he? he yeah, he did say that, but I don't. Okay, keep going because maybe I misunderstood something. Well, my impression, I actually okay. I think that we saw two different overlords in this movie, or in this movie, in this show, in this episode. Uh, 
the the I think Scorch is the one we saw with Lexi at the end, mm. and this Overlord is just the is just the the overseer of this Gulag. But I could be wrong on which is which. It just seemed like the the sh- the hooded one at the end was a little bit more ominous than the other one. But anyway, it sounded to me like in order to bide time. In order to buy them some more time, Tom made the deal with this overlord to become a drone, knowing that they had a plan to escape. So as long as the overlord thinks that he has Tom in his pocket, he's just going to let them all run free because within 48 hours, they're going to start their whatever re-education of the human or of the adult humans. So Hmm. that was my impression of that. I didn't get that impression, but. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong because you, you very well could be right. I I thought that the Overlord saw there was another ghost down on the uh, down on in the ghetto. Yep. Assumed that he had the wrong guy and mm. immediately just redirected his attention toward the other guy because then Tom was able to go over to well, his computer and start accessing things and trying to to learn about the the uh, tether and that sort yeah. of thing. So that that told me that the Overlord had just left him alone, which was a stupid move. I don't think the Overlord thought he got the wrong ghost. He said something like, how can there be more than one ghost? Yeah. Because weren't there, I think there were multiple down there. And then, but then again, uh, Hal did have the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But yeah, that that could be true too. Uh, Barb in the chat room is saying that Tom made a deal. He agreed to be a new style leader in order to save his family. So she's saying the same thing you, you did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Barb. <laughs> yeah. She's there's also there's saying that the Overlord okay. was confused that there was more than one ghost. And there's there's no question about that. I think we can all agree on that. I just thought that once he was confused, yeah. he just totally diverted go. his attention to away from it Tom. Was a, it was a little odd how abruptly... He came back, but I think, I guess I interpreted that as Tom had just consented to be a new leader, and he just let him go. Yeah, and that mm. I can see that too. Of course, Tom is just buying time because he has a plan. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he also said something about changing their tactics and the way that they're harnessing. You know, they they tried harnessing children. That proved to be mm-hmm. unpredictable. Uh, the thing with Karen didn't turn out the way they hoped. And I know we already touched on this, but I think it's worth just yeah. making sure we're, we're clear on, on everything here and, and that he is trying this other path with, 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 with what he mentioned to Tom. Either you evolve or you, uh, what do you say, evolve or your extinction? Those are your two options? Yeah, extinction or evolution. It's not going to work. Do we have anybody that's going to chime in on that point? Um, we do. We have a couple of people to, to, to bring into play here. The first one we're going to play is Mark to hear what he had. To, and he's going to talk too. I think he had some of the same confusion I did. So, uh, I'm, okay. not, I'm not, I don't remember all of his comments, but let's listen to what Mark had to say first. I don't understand why the Asveni, the overlords, they said they wanted to get this ghost. They find out the ghost is Tom. They bring him up to the ship. Why would they let him go? Like, what's the point of that? He's, he, you know, telling him to get his family in order and follow uh, what we're saying. 
they know that this guy has been a thorn in their side. I don't understand why they just don't kill Tom and then try to rein in his family afterwards. Once they, what they perceive as the leader, Tom being the leader of the group, kill him. I, I just don't understand why they would have let him go. So not that I want him dead. I mean, he is the star of the show. So, but I just didn't find that very realistic. Okay, so his, confu- his confusion or question was a little bit different than mine. So he wants to know why they didn't just kill Tom. And I think it's just because they think that he's, if they can control him, then he's a can be a powerful weapon or a... Right. Well, because also they, they had said that Karen wasn't as effective because they neglected to take away her free will. But they also saw her being effective because of the hold she had on Hal and that influence there. So I think to a certain degree, even though they're bad at judging humans overall in terms of how their emotions are intrinsic to the way they fight, they also see that Tom is extremely influential in and amongst his people group. So needing the the trust of those people is as important as anything else at this point yeah. for them. So I I think that they're finally changing their tactics. I mean, like I said, they're going with brainwashing instead of harnessing now. And and that kind of follows in suit with how they treated Tom, I think. Okay. This is what Justina had to say. She's going to talk about the uh, evolution versus extinction. This week's episode of Falling Skies has got me thinking about evolution. First, I was thinking about Lexi and how the exponential growth of her body and of her power is not equal to the growth of her intellect and her sense of control. This could cause her to be a pawn in a very dangerous game or an exciting wild card for reasons I have yet to figure out. I have also thought about the evolution of Tom Mason who since season one has been growing, changing, and learning to find new ways to protect his family and as many innocent people as he can. He is also passing on this value to his sons. So this is Justina from Michigan thinking that if I ever have to decide between evolution and extinction, I will choose evolution every time. You know, I hadn't even considered the evolution of Tom, um... But they've they've all kind of had to do that as as they've taken on this battle like nothing else that this world has ever seen. Personally, I would choose extinction, but that's just me. Just give up, huh? Just give up. Just roll over. Let them let them walk all over me. <laughs> well, if the evolution means becoming some sort of alien human hybrid, I think I might choose extinction too. I don't know. Yeah. You know, Ben's kind of an alien-human hybrid, and it's worked out pretty well for him so far. That's true. That's true. But he Lexi's also to... an alien-human hybrid, and I don't like that. Yeah. It would really depend. Yeah. No, but I, I love what you said about Tom evolving over the course of the show, and I think you hit it spot on, Justina. Uh, it's always better to evolve in that sense of it, because if you're going to have to live in this kind of a world you have to adapt you can't just roll over and when you do roll over you become brainwashed apparently apparently well i love it it seems like they're getting closer to figuring out how to get out of the camp either through the faraday suit or through the information that tom learned while he was up in the overlord ship so i don't know if they get out next week or not you know the things will move quickly as we've said before with this 
show because of the short seasons, which I'm a fan of. That that usually means things will move quickly. So they they might get out next week. I don't know. I don't I don't get spoiled on this show, but Right. I think at the very least there will be an attempt to escape. But um Greg Beeman also told us that this is the second part of a trilogy of episodes. So I almost wonder if that means we'll have some sort of conclusion to the episode next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of shows like to do that. Usually, it's toward the middle or something. But uh, uh, yeah, I just I mean, in terms of the where where the stories are with all of the other characters, I just can't see it lasting much longer the way it is, and and, and I don't even want it to last a lot longer because what have we gotten a total of three minutes out of Matt's storyline over the last two episodes? I just don't like that. It makes me not like where that part of the story is going just because we just don't get to look into that world very much. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that part of the story. There's not a whole lot there to talk about. We got very, very little. In fact, you, you, when you and I watched the episode on Sunday <laughs> night, neither one of us really made any notes. There was only, I think the one yeah. scene, right? Or I think it was broken up into two scenes really. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I took away from it was more of the same from last week because we, I mean, the mantra of the kids now is because we love our parents, we will raise the alarm. It's very reminiscent of, I don't know, that that's what the Nazi children were like, weren't they? It was, you, you need to blow the whistle on if your parents are doing anything out of the ordinary or. Yeah, that's the vibe but, they're going for. For sure, and which is kind of weird when you think about it. Do these aliens have knowledge of human history? To is that where they got the idea for? Oh, entirely. You remember the season two premiere of the sh- or yeah, the season two premiere of the show when Tom had been taken aboard the ship of the Overlord, and the Overlord tries to throw all of human history back in Tom's face. I think that they. They have thoroughly studied human history in one way or another and have used it against them because, because he also used that against Tom and saying, that's why we, what, what had they done, uh, at that point? Was it camps they were putting people into at that point? I can't remember exactly, but he had used it in defense of something that they were doing. <laughs> that rings a bell now that you, now, wow, you have a good memory. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes <welcome>. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and we saw two instances in this episode where in where scenes with with uh, the the uh, Matt storyline where people got promoted. Is that is that another oh. word for killed? Graduated. Graduated. I think I think he used graduated. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking that it was uh well because it was suspicious because of the the ruffled bed, <laughs> the note lying on the ground, yep. and the fact that team leader confronted Matt in the barracks. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what happened to Skip, but I know that something not good happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what uh, Mark had to say about this scenes we got with Matt, in particular team leader. We know that they're re-educating these people, but even like the team leader, is he somehow being influenced by the uh, Eshveni or is he somebody that uh, was just reorientated like uh, that, like they're trying to do to the kids? I'm hoping they give us more in the next episode or two to, to enhance that storyline because right now I'm not really enjoying that part. 
It's a great question. Where did team leader and people like him come from? Are they being harnessed or manipulated in some way? Or are they really, I hate to say drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think that applies here in this situation. What do you, what do you think? The only way I could see them going along with the Ashveni is if they had grown up orphans or something and that they, for the first time, you know, because even in, I don't know if it was season one, there, there was a, strong emotional attachment that Ben had to his Skitter family. I mean, he he felt an emotional familial bond. And so if if these aliens had actually taken some of these kids under their wing and raised them or given them food and made them healthy when all their lives they had experienced complete poverty. I guess I could see that. I mean, it was talking about unity and brotherhood, so they must be capable of showing kindness if they need to. I mean, it's just like any tyrannical leader. They they have the ability to have some people drink their Kool-Aid, don't they? Yeah, no. I th- I th- well, I don't know. I haven't, having never been in that situation myself, of course, I know you're really? hypothetically posing that question. Okay. But I think you make an excellent point again that we saw them, Ben, in this case, have a, an affectionate... Uh, bond with his skitter master or whatever they termed them back then. So I think um, it's possible that the team leader and and those like him might have been with them, with the skitters and then raised up. And then now they really are just, Mm -hmm. they're in on it. You know, they're, they're just sold out. Right. They could be, they could be de-harnessed children because Karen ultimately was de-harnessed when she, you know, by the end of, season four or season three, at least she wasn't wearing a harness anymore. It was almost embedded into her, but right, right, right. But so they could be de-harnessed children who had become sympathetic to the Ashveni. Yeah. I don't know, but I completely agree with his last point is just that it's not interesting. Unfortunately, I want it to be, I want to be engaged in that story, but we just get so little of it that it's hard to connect. (laughs) Right. That's the point, right? It's nothing on Maxim Knight or any of the other actors that are right. in those scenes. It's just we're getting so very little of it. We're not really, yeah, we're not latching onto it because of that, right? All right, let's move on to something, a storyline that we that we do care more about. Uh, let's move on to Anne, and then we'll come back around to Lexi because I think we'll have a lot to say about the yeah, Lexi that'll be good. Yeah, so let's let's uh, circle back around to Anne. We talked last week about how she's. Driving too hard. And I loved the the writing in some of these scenes this week. One one line that Anthony said is, we can march all day or we can march all night, but we can't <laughs> do both. And I thought, man, that's such a good line right there. Yeah. And she's she's going to kill her squad, I think. I think I said that last week, too. <laughs> I mean, whenever she's saying something like, Lexi is at, is at the end of this line, I kept thinking, Walt! <laughs> Walt! <laughs> I mean, it is getting to be almost as annoying. Not quite, but pretty close. But she doesn't, it's not even the skitter that opens fire on her first. She finds the thing and starts shooting at it. Right. So we don't, we don't really know what it was there to do. Assuming, we're assuming, of course, that it was there to just do surveillance, scoping out. Maybe it was one of the, I mean, uh, the, the overlord called it a guard, right? Mm-hmm. So it's probably just, 
guarding the perimeter of the re-education camp, maybe something along those lines. Yeah, maybe. She's doing surveillance. I don't blame her, though, for opening fire on the thing when she saw it, because oh, no, it's, they're sure. very much in a, a shoot-first-ask-questions-later type of world. Yeah, and it, it made me wonder if Rebel Skitters have been completely turned into hornets now. Yeah, that's Instead what of- we got from the alien overlord, was that they took those alien skitters, uh, or the, um, not the alien skitters, the... Um, What'd you Traitors. Yeah. Rebel skitters. The rebel skitters. And that's where <laughs> we got skitters. the black hornets from. Yeah. Genetically altered mindless drones. Poor things. Kind of like you. What is it like? <laughs> Just kidding. I do not know. Here's what Barb had to say about Anne. Uh, oh, we don't have audio from her. It's going <laughs> to. Um, I was like. <laughs> Barb said Anne is no longer acting in a rational manner. And will probably cause the death of many of her troops. And I'm <laughs> hey, with her. it sounds like she's echoing you. Yeah, no, she yeah. and I are definitely on the same page on this. I, I don't think that will happen though. I think something else will will happen. Either she'll have a she'll collapse finally because she's been giving all of her rations away and she's been going on emotion for so long, or they'll meet up with somebody else at some point. It's it's gonna it's not gonna happen. Her her group is not going to to lose. Uh, some of the people, but if they were to continue on this path, they I think that's the path they're heading down. Yeah. No, she's running them ragged. And one of the hardest points about leadership is just learning how to delegate. And she knows how to command people, but she doesn't know how to lead people. <laughs> and there's a huge difference there, especially when it comes to any sort of organized military i mean can you imagine the american army running like that no i would not want those people protecting me yeah you know and the conversation that she had with denny after it was all over was really interesting too and and but the the skitter told her that this alien human hybrid was the future and she just snapped yeah the hybrid is our future i mean it was it was like the first, I would probably qualify this to be the first bit of news she had about Lexi since the fences came down, since they were separated. So, I mean, just to know that there is hope in some form to be reunited with her probably <laughs> just made her amp it up from that point on. I, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I hope not. I hope that she it, it will actually settle her down so that she knows where to go now. You know what it what it what did uh, Denny call it? A black fear rising in the West. Mm-hmm. Very Stephen Kingish. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, mentioned it. Yeah. Well, here's what Mark had to say about Anne. We haven't seen any let let off from Anne in her group. She's still just uh, as ruthless as we saw in the first episode. And again, I don't know why uh, people would be following her. And even to the point where they, they caught the skitter and it was still alive. And she went up and she said, if you give us the information, I'll let you live. But when she asked about the hybrid and the skitter says, I don't know, she killed him. And that that kind of showed how Anne is losing it. But she has a one track mind. She wants to get back to Alexa, Alexi. And she went back on her word. Yeah, it's a skitter. I mean, you can't, maybe she doesn't think that keeping her word to a skitter is, is something she needs to do. But you find out afterwards that from, uh, I sorry, I can't remember the girl's name, the one with the spikes. 
you find out from her that the skitter actually didn't know he was telling the truth. And yet she killed him after she said, if you answer our questions, I'll let you live. Yeah. Do you think Anne was out of line with the way that she kind of went back on her word with the skitter? Well, I think anybody is out of line when they go back on their word, but I don't blame her particularly, you know, just in terms of what we just said. I mean, I understand it caused it caused her to snap, caused her to realize that they did know something. I don't know. What do you think? I I don't sympathize with the skitter at all. In fact, I think right. she put the skitter out of its misery. Yeah, probably. Well, after, you know, making it a target. Yeah. I think the bigger okay. question or the bigger problem here is just her her not being in control and yeah that that's just in every aspect of of what she's doing here the way that she's leading her people is out of control the way that she's controlling herself is out of control if she i have this these visions of if they were on a a, a vessel of some sort the second command would be relieving her of her duty and saying, you know, handcuffing her, yes. you know, and in the brig or something, and uh, because she's just she's emotionally is not able to lead right now. She shouldn't be leading, right? Well, and leading from the front lines without any sort of accountability anywhere else. I mean, she she's not taking orders from anyone. She's making this up as she goes along, yeah. and that has never proved to be very profitable in this brave new world and you know it goes back to the whole leadership thing when when you when you see someone running that ragged and they're leading you that's you know like just just like mark said <laughs> i don't understand why these people are following her but when you don't have anyone to answer to who else do you turn to so i can both see why they're following her and question why they're following her all at once for for all of their sakes i hope they encounter cochise <laughs> or Someone oh. else soon. <laughs> How quickly do you think they would uh, befriend the Volm if they came along in the next episode? Yes, we will follow you. <laughs> <laughs> Take us to your leader. <laughs> <laughs> Put that woman in handcuffs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Lexi. Lots and lots of stuff here. Nice to see Dr. Kadar back. I didn't know if we would see him again. I'd kind of forgotten about him, quite honestly. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Kadar's yeah. back. Woohoo. And he, he had a nice role in this episode. Hopefully we'll get to see him uh, a little bit longer. But he said some some pretty disturbing things, namely that Lexi, he thinks, this isn't proven, this is just his conjecture, I think, but he thinks that Lexi is dying. What is she? What is, what's your take? Well, it's certainly... It certainly seems that way. I mean, with the rapid aging and everything. Yeah. The caveat, of course, in our knowledge is that we don't know <laughs> anything about the way human and alien DNA intertwined behaves over a long period of time. I mean, nobody's done any studies on that. And Dr. Kadar said, just based on my knowledge of biology and based on the data that I've had access to, my understanding or my my analysis is that she is dying. And so from his perspective, she could very well be dying, but we don't know how her body is going to, I mean, so he said she may look like she's 21, but she's hardly a year old. And that what, that's what worries me. But I'm, I'm more worried about her 
emotional maturity than I am about her physical maturity because it seems like in conjunction when you have a very emotionally immature person, <laughs> they are less likely to survive in the long term than someone who with physical ailments. Sure. I'm, and I'm with you on that. I think that might be the, the logic that Kadar is also using. You know, she's advancing rapidly in every facet of her life, but physically she is advancing faster than she is emotionally or cognitively. And I think that that is mm-hmm. definitely posing a problem in, in, a, in a number of ways. Uh, we saw it here where she didn't like the fighting that was going on. And so she mm-hmm. kind of almost threw a temper tantrum and, and in right. her own sort of way. Uh, we see her being perhaps easily manipulated by the Ishveni. I mean, there are a lot of dangers here that she is subject to because of her lack of maturity. Um, like we said, either a combination of cognitively and emotionally. Yeah, and I mean, the, the thing that had just made me go off on that was when she... When she defends herself to Ben, you know, what makes you think, you think that you're a better teacher than any of these people? And she cites off Dickens and Shakespeare and even your own God. And, and I just, I just shake my head at that going, okay, if you had actually read any of these guys, you would have, you wouldn't have this perspective. I mean, how much of the Bible talks about how pride comes before a fall or how uh, hu- uh, pride leading to your destruction. Oh, what am I thinking of? Um, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, just in terms of, well, and then even Dickens, who was appalled at American pride and immaturity and wrote it into a lot of his characters. I mean, I'm thinking of Great Expectations and uh, narrated by a. Uh, what, let's see. Narrated by Pip, wasn't it? Uh, he wants to rise up in society and squanders any chance he has of being satisfied with his lot in life after spending a day in the upper class because he can see the discrepancy between the two worlds and it causes him to have great expectations. And it just, we, we, it's depicted with a high level of moral consciousness, but it seems to be those exact things that lead to his hardships. And so it's just, you constantly see how this emotional immaturity is just always leading to people's destruction. Mm-hmm. And if she had actually read Dickens, I'd, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying like if she'd actually read Dickens, I'm just wondering, I wonder what lesson she actually got from Dickens if it wasn't that one. <laughs> right. If she did read it, maybe those lessons escaped her. Well, okay. On the other hand, as I think about this, she did seem to have a bit of a conflict with the way Lourdes is leading her. Not She didn't explicitly come out and say it, but she she wouldn't ever say, this is what I want. She would always say, this is what Lourdes is doing. Uh, you know, Lourdes wants this. Right. I think it's because she feels like she can trust Lourdes because of a bond that they have. I think that I yeah. also think that Lourdes is still under Ishvini control, and I think we're just about to, to run down that path. But, you know, when, when Ben finally had a chance to talk to her and she was able to recall with him the moment when they escaped together and there's trust that she has with him and a bond that she has with him because he's her brother or half-brother, that's something that will at least for the moment, supersede the bond that she has with Lourdes. And uh, 
I think listening to Lourdes is what has gotten her into some of this trouble so far where she's kind of ostracized herself uh, or ostracized other people, you know, shun the non-believer, shun, you know, that's what she was doing with uh, Dr. Kadar. So uh, hopefully Ben will come in and do you like to try the unicorn reference there? Uh, Hopefully Ben will come in and and help that a little (laughs) bit. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can see that because there, there, there were, there were a couple points in there when I questioned my own analysis going, you know, why can't she see the truths that a lot of these books she just threw at Ben are actually revealing? But maybe that is the conflict she sees because when she goes to visit the overlord at the end of the, at the end of the episode, she says, what, something along the lines of, I want to be taken out of the situation. And uh, I see that the, my powers are hurting people. And it really reminded me of actually Jesus in the Garden of Guests. Guess that? I can't ever say that word. Gethsemane? Thank you. And just like asking God to take this cup from him, but if it is his will, he will go through with it. And that's kind of what she did there at the end. And you, you, you see a little bit of emotional maturity there of cognitive awareness in that she might actually be extracting truths from these things that she's reading, but can't actually act on them because of how much power Lourdes is wielding over her. Mm-hmm. So what do you think but, the deal is with Lourdes? Mm, uh, what, what, is oh, she man. under any control? Is she just not the same after having been under their control? What's going on? Yeah. There, I mean, there, there are probably more than two options, but the two biggest in my mind are either she is delusional with hero worship or she's still under control because I, and I can't even see someone. I mean, maybe, maybe the eye worms, there were a lot of them in her. So maybe they had corrupted enough of her brain to make her latch on to the next person who would control her or would be the answer to the problem. I don't know. What do you think? I've been talking a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think your hero worship actually is, is a really strong possibility because of the video that was released just prior to the season. And we mentioned these in our season recap podcast that we did, our series recap podcast. And one of those, this was the documentary style videos that TNT put together. And when this documentary documentarian was uh, interviewing Lourdes, you know, she talked about how Lourdes saved her life and how she would do anything for her. And Ben said the same Mm -hmm. thing. Ben said that he would, he would uh, die uh, for her. Um, But I think that that's it. I think that, well, I think that's a possibility, Mm -hmm. but, but honestly, if I had to pick a side, I think she's still under his control. I think it would be a little bit more interesting because what did, Lexi extracting the eye worms actually accomplished then? Well, it might have accomplished the thought that Lourdes was free from um, the eye worms. So they okay. still have a a worker in their midst. I don't know. It's, so, I have nothing to yeah. back that up other than a, a nice little no, theory yeah. that has yeah. no basis. It's interesting to think about the theory we've been bouncing around since last season. I was actually trying to look for the clip where we discuss my theory about Lexi and I couldn't find it, but you know, it does seem like she is the in whatever form we want to understand it, she is trying to be used as someone who will unite the Ashveni and the humans. 
that seems more likely the case now than ever before. Almost, yeah, almost spelled out really with some of the things that the Ashvani said this week with them wanting to partner with the humans, although partnership is used in the most loosely way possible. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that theory is definitely looking better every, every week. <laughs> and I think the, the skitter who, who Anne killed said something along the lines of Ashveni and human together led by a hybrid. Well, and Lexi has the try force symbol right, thingy. Yeah. <laughs> Not the Triforce. <laughs> I should have worn my Zelda shirt tonight. Maybe next week. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? The, the, the three rings. So yeah. That that means you know the unity the three of them together. We're still not sure who the third party is. I think we can agree on humans and Ishveni. The third party is is a little bit unknown at this point. Barb had a couple eye of worms. really eye worms. <laughs> I don't think so. Barb had a couple what? of really good ideas here. She says that while Lexi may be the Ishveni hybrid of the future, she thinks that Lordis is one of the new leaders based on her behavior, and she Ooh. wonders if once humans are infected if they are never really free of the Ishveni DNA. Barb noticed, noted that Hal appeared to be or appeared to zone out for a few moments when staring at the moon. And since that seems to be a communication link for Lexi as well, she thinks that they are all <laughs> still connected. And that would also mean that Tom is at risk. Because remember, he had an eye warm in him at one time. Yes, he did. Oh, well, I think it's certainly a possibility and it and it could have to do with duration of the effect of the eye worm. I mean, Lordis had the most eye worms of anyone for the longest amount of time. Tom's was probably caught pretty quickly, so it could have to do with because if if Hal isn't as bad as Lordis, it would be because they were able to extract his pretty quickly. Fairly I mean, quickly, and he just had the one. Yeah, just had the one. Yeah, in in terms yeah. of least yeah. to greatest, Tom had one for a short time. Tom, uh, Hal had one for a couple months, but Lord has had a whole mess of them for a whole length of time. Yeah, I love that. Barb also said, Ugh. you know, I just mentioned that Ben said he would die for Lexi. Barb also said that she thinks that Ben will die this season. He said he was willing to die for his sister, and those statements usually come back to haunt you. Again, Barb, good observation. I hope you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Barb, you're jinxing it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really hope that's not true. That is the oh. type of statement, though, that they put out there in Act 1 to bring back in Act 3. Yeah. It sure... I mean, I, I think I had the same thought while I was watching, going, don't say anything like that. You just... Don't you know you're on a TV show? You're not supposed to say things like that. <laughs> exactly. Well, Alexa, we saw some of her powers this week. We knew that she had shut down the mech last week. We got a little bit more information on that this week where she said that she was able to feel the frequency at which it operated and use that frequency to shut it down. When I mentioned her tantrum that she threw, that was essentially the same thing where she found a frequency that would basically incapacitate all of those in the room and used it to shut everybody down. And the weird blood spattering against the wall thing, what was, and the the stuff moving in the blood. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, when Clark would get really close to kryptonite, his blood would actually start to boil 
So maybe she was too close to kryptonite. Or maybe there were bugs in her blood. Or maybe when her blood mixes with oxygen, it purifies and kills the alien DNA. Those are my three theories. Those are all really, really interesting. I'm going to dismiss the Superman-like theory, even though we'd have a supernatural showrunner uh, as part of this team. Supernatural. Oh, uh, did I say supernatural? I'm that Smallville. You I am so, thank you for catching <laughs> of me. Of course, you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it on purpose. I love to troll you on that, <laughs> but that was not one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's what you told me you told uh never mind that's funny no i met smallville i really did um okay (laughs) so i'm going to dismiss that one although you could be right i love though i love the the two other theories um i kind of i was under the impression that something was alive in there it was the ishveniisms in her blood that's right i made up a new word that Mm. makes no sense ishveniisms yes i'm down with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Okay. Yeah, I could see that too. I could see that too. Yeah. Moving inside. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's, there's got to be some sort of chemical reaction going on there. Her blood is reacting negatively to something because blood shouldn't boil, right? Maybe it should. It shouldn't boil. I wouldn't think <laughs> so. I mean, I don't know how alien blood works, but. I don't know how human blood works. All I know is that I have it and it works some, most of the time, except for now because I'm still cold. But. We need Linda here for this. She's a human oh. blood expert of sorts. Does she watch Falling Skies? I don't know if she does or not. I'll have to tweet her. Yeah, find her, find out. Anybody else who knows about blood, I would be personally interested to know what you thought about that scene. Yeah. Okay, what other thoughts do you have on Lexi? Um, I'm trying to think, see if there's anything here in the notes that I have. Uh, other than the last scene that we had when Ben kind of saw her meeting with the Overlord. Do you want to talk right. about that scene or do you have anything before that? Yeah, I, I think everything just leads right up to that. It was it was a very interesting path that we saw her take because we see a lot of her from the perspective of other people. We see her from Dr. Kadar's point of view where she is a patient who is potentially dying. We see her from Maggie's point of view who is... She, I think Maggie is, is seeing her manipulated by Lourdes more than anything, but also sees the good she has done in this community and the way that she has been able to keep them all safe when the only way that they've been able to keep themselves safe in the past is by losing people in the front lines. We see her through Ben's eyes, who he still sees her as his little sister, wanting to do anything to save her life. And then we get to see a little bit of her when she explodes at him and we kind of see the crashing of all of these, you know, she's being manipulated. She is immersing herself in literature, looking for teachers who will tell her who she needs to be. And then, and then finally meeting with the overlord after hearing from Ben that he cares about her enough to die for her and lead all leading up to that point. And you just, and I, and I just, I don't even know how to interpret that last scene because it's almost like, well, I guess based on that last scene, it's probably clear that, maybe not clear, but it's probably more evident the overlords are keeping them safe than they are, than it is Lexi keeping them safe. Right. No, I, I well, yeah, obviously I think as well, though it's, it's uncertain as to about that. what role she is still possibly playing in it. I mean, yeah, ultimately yeah. they're safe because 
the Ashvini are choosing not to violently attack them or, or right. remove them from that from that manipulating the circumstance to make it look like she's keeping them safe when it's really <laughs> they're just not attacking them in any way. You mentioned this Garden of know. Gethsemane scene earlier, and I think that's a great way of putting it. I mean, she says that she doesn't want these powers. She's afraid she'll hurt someone, which, you know, she's, she, she is, she's a hybrid. She's got human feelings. Yep. She feels a bond with the humans, um, but she also feels a connection to the Ishveni. We miss some dialogue, obviously. They do, do that on purpose. And when it comes back to her, she says, I understand. I don't know what he told her. I, I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. But he gave her a directive of some sort or or gave her an explanation of some sort, and it seemed to, at least for right now, appease her desire to pass the cup, if you will. <laughs> right, and, and very much like the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't so, wait for next week. We said this last week, too. This yeah. is, obviously, we love this show. We love the, the different things that it does, the character developments and the the twist that it has done with reshuffling the deck this season and man, it just, it ends and you can't wait for more. And this is just a true sign of a great show. Right. What was your rating? I gave it seven deep fried Hornets. Nice. Seven seems like a little bit of a low rating. Are you like Clint and seven is still really good? No, I, I knocked it down. I, there were a lot of interesting things about this episode, but I was, I anticipated the first one so much and it met, most of my expectations that this one just felt a little disappointing. Not completely, just I wish more had happened. Okay, I can give you that for sure. And I gave it an 8.5, 8.5 vials of hybrid blood. So I, liked it. Hybrid I thought about giving it an yeah. 8. You know, 7 for me is like pretty low. 6 is like I hated the episode because my rating system is not... <laughs> You know, we've had discussions about this on other podcasts, yep. but so 8.5 for me was, is kind of a middle of the road episode. Not, not great, okay. but not weak either. So that's how I Okay. Seven it. would probably be that for me then mm-hmm. middle of the road. So what are your closing thoughts, questions for next week? All right. So the one question I have for you goes back to what we were talking about with the overlord and Tom and the information we got there. If the story he told about a even more threatening force coming is true. Mm-hmm. Are the Ashveni redeemable in any way? I don't think so. They've done so much. They've killed what ninety percent of the human population. That those that remained, they have killed. I don't know how many, what percentage of those, and and done so many other unspeakable things to them. I don't know how you can redeem that. Well, I don't know because the only thing I can think of is if they didn't know any other way of life. If they didn't know any other way to stop this force from coming, and then they find actual intelligent life on Earth and treat them the same way that they have everywhere else in the galaxy, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that they are redeemable at all, because at this point, they are not. <laughs> they have done nothing to show that they are willing to fight with the humans, and they have shown no remorse over killing our population. I'm just curious if you think that there's any conceivable spot in your mind where they could become redeemable. Not at this point, but anything can okay. happen. I, I do anything leave it to the writers happen. to come up with creative <laughs> things that I cannot see at this point. I think it would be most intriguing if we did start to sympathize with them. Yeah. But I don't know how that could happen at this point. <laughs> I, don't know that I, could, I don't know that I could live with myself if I started sympathizing with the Ishvini at this point. 
We'll see. Well, if you put if you if you play uh, what is it called, planetary warfare, you can actually fight as that's the video game associated with. You you can actually fight as the aliens, so maybe you just need to play that, and then you can figure out why they're so cool. Hmm. Okay. Or not, you know, it's up to you. Free will. You still have it for a time. All right. Well, I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm okay with that. All right. You ready to talk about some Twitter? I am indeed. I've got it. All right. You know, Twitter poll question this week was... What was it? I thought I had it written down in the notes. It was, where do Lexi's loyalties lie? Some alliteration going on there uh, with the humans, with the Ishveni, with something else. And we got some good responses this week. Solo Talk Media says, Lexi believes she will unite the races in peace, so she is loyal to all of them, but the Ishveni are controlling her. Jim in Wisconsin. Oh, sorry. I will just say that I think. Uh, He's hit the nail on the head right there. I think so, too. And I think that became very clear at the very last scene, too. Jim in Wisconsin says, I haven't seen the episode yet, but she did have an evil look to her last week. <laughs> My vote is Ashfini, but there is a twist. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Jovial Falcon says, something else is the easy answer for me. Oh, and she's going to off Cochise this season. Calling it. I hope not. I think... I I hope not too. Oh man, Mike, I don't know where you're coming up with these things. It's so sad. We need to think positive and not jinx everyone. <laughs> yeah, he and Barb. Speaking of Barb, Barb says Tangier fourteen with the Ashveni. She thinks Lexi lies with the Ashveni. They made her what she is, and even more important, what she will become. Mm-hmm. Dun dun dun. Bags, bags, bags says, right now I think that Lexi is a tool like the re-education camps use the Nazi kids to rat out rebellious parents. And bags, 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 I think you have some amazing foresight because your tweet came in before we actually asked the question for this week. <laughs> and somehow you were able to answer it correctly. I mean, accurately or within the realm of reason. Maybe there was a uh, a weird time zone thing on there where it looks Ooh. like bags bag maybe maybe bags 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 has a time machine. Mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a time machine, and I can tell you that next week we're going to be talking about an episode entitled Exodus. Mm, Exodus. Exodus. Ooh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> Somebody's going to be going somewhere. We just don't know who or where. I don't. I haven't looked ahead. That's all I know is the episode title. Yeah. Me too. Well, we want to hear your thoughts about next week's episode. So send in your feedback. You can do that in a few ways. The easiest way, we've made it super easy. Go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. There's an easy form right there to fill out where you can attach an audio file or type in a response. You can also use our SpeakPipe widget, which is right there to leave a voicemail. Or you can call 304 837 2278 and leave a message on the Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line. That number, that website works for all of the podcasts here at Golden Spiral Media. We would love for you to join us for the live show. We've got a nice crowd here tonight joining us next Tuesday at eight o'clock Eastern time. We'll be doing it again. Come over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash 
live and join us for the live show. If you just want to send in your feedback, the deadline for that is Tuesdays at 6 o'clock Eastern Time. Live show at 8, deadline for feedback, 6 o'clock. If you want to keep up to date on everything that we're doing here at Golden Spiral Media, you can follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts or uh, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Golden Spiral Media. And all the information about all of the podcasts, their releases, and uh, anything new that's coming up will be posted from those accounts. And you can also engage with other fans in the community, too. Which is always fun. There's some good discussions that go on on the Facebook page, at least. There are. All right. Well, that's all for me. Anything else from you, Emily? That's it for me. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Berserker Cast. We look forward to coming back next week and talking about Exodus. We hope that you'll join us. And until then, don't forget that resistance is never, ever futile. And it's really easy to get carried away with aliens.